Hello and welcome to a special edition of Americano. I'm Kate Andrews, The Spectator's economics editor, and I've put your Americano host, Freddie Gray, in the hot seat to talk about his cover for the magazine this week, Trump Vision. Trump refused to take part in the first Republican presidential primary debate on Wednesday, appearing on Tucker Carlson's show on X, formerly known as Twitter, instead. Freddie says it doesn't matter that Trump doesn't show up to these TV debates, he stole the story regardless. He joins me now alongside Devin Nunes, former Republican congressman, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, and now chief at Trump's social media platform, Truth Social. Freddie and Devin, thanks for joining me. Freddie, you say Trump is the only story in town, regardless of whether he shows up or not. Talk us through your piece. Well, I think what happened in 2015, and particularly in the Republican candidate debates in 2015, is that Trump sort of set fire to the nomination process in many ways, and particularly the media side of it, because these debates, admittedly, they don't draw in the same kind of numbers as the big final two showdown presidential one just before the election. But they were always considered very important sort of starting blocks for candidates to lay out their stall, to say who they were, and more importantly, to sort of pay fealty to the huge TV networks and that would then honour that fealty by projecting them into the national consciousness. Trump in 2015 took over the national and to some extent the global consciousness and certainly the media. This year, something similar but different is happening in that he is now shunning the networks to some extent, the TV debates, he's not going to do them. And it doesn't really seem to matter because the power relationship has changed and the power of news TV has changed because to some extent the Trump story is the story of how the media misunderstood their role in politics and thought that they could stop this political phenomenon uh, and they couldn't. And now in, as we approach 2024, we're seeing just quite clearly how little they matter. Devin, Freddie writes in his piece that he wasn't surprised that Donald Trump decided not to take part in these debates. Were you surprised? And do you think this changes the game for presidential elections in the future? Well, for those of us who have followed politics closely here in America for a long time, it didn't make any sense for President Trump to participate in the debates. And the main reason why is, is that we haven't really been here as a country, meaning the United States, where you have a president who left office who still claimed his title as the Republican Party leader. And even though I think that some of the Republicans in the Beltway, the lobbyists and the Wall Street people, they don't like that. But the facts are the facts. And that is that President Trump has built the biggest political movement in modern American history, bar none. There is no doubt of that. And plus, what you won't hear the Republican Party leader say is that they had to have President Trump in the last election cycle because without them, they couldn't raise any money on their own. Because what President Trump did is he bypassed, as Freddie, I think, you know, eloquently puts in his piece, he bypassed all the norms, went straight to the American people and developed what the Democrats had been working on for years, which is small dollars millions of them all over the country. And so, you know, with that and with President Trump fighting the election results, with him staying out there on the campaign trail, with him out there doing rallies, it's impossible. You know, as a guy who served two decades in Congress, I may be proud I'm elected and I may be the, the leader of, of a committee or the leader of the Senate. But guess what? If you don't have the people and you can't raise the money, you're basically a leader without any followers. President Trump is a leader 
with more followers than any political player in modern history. So therefore, why would you put yourself in a position where you've got, you know, half the candidates that are up there are not, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but, you know, they have every right to run, but they're not serious candidates. They have no chance to win. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that any of the candidates that are out there today, if President Trump was just to say, hey, see you guys later, I'm going to go play golf in uh, Florida, have fun with your politics. My guess is that none of those candidates would ultimately be the Republican nominee. So when you have the vote sewed up, there is no reason to entertain, you know, kind of the chaotic wannabe people that most likely would not be the nominee anyway if President Trump wasn't there. Speaking of followers, of course, you're representing Truth Social, and I'm interested in your views on the influence of social media at the moment compared to, say, those mainstream television shows and indeed the debates. Donald Trump is talking about spending time on X, the, the new version of Twitter. He's talking about going to Truth Social where he says he's going to make his case instead of doing these TV debates. And I think it's interesting that he's decided to almost pit them against each other. And it does reflect in some ways, I suppose, how people consume their news now. Yeah. And if you look at it, the landscape has just changed from 2016. And it evolved rapidly after that 16 election. So President Trump successfully used the social media, specifically Facebook, really, was the main one. Of course, he would put his message out on Twitter back in 16. But really, he was using Facebook because he was live streaming his rallies. And at that time, you have to remember in 16, there was on the conservative center right, there was essentially Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, four or five of the talk radio hosts. And then there were regional talk radio hosts and some of the center right magazines, that sort of thing. But it was maybe 10 or 15 majors that you had to deal with. Well, In 16, President Trump went around all that because he was going to Twitter and going on Facebook, live streaming his rallies, and a candidate with really not very much money beat the the most favored candidate in U.S. history by the mainstream by using social media. Now, what happened after 2016? Outside of Obama destroying our justice system and putting a, 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 a president under investigation by the Obama Justice Department intelligence agencies. Outside of that, in 2016, shortly after the election, a lot of people forget this, but the term fake news, a lot of people think Donald Trump made up that term fake news. Actually, the two prominent players to mention fake news well before Donald Trump were two gentlemen you guys have probably know. One was a guy named Barack Obama, right after the election, that said it was fake news on the internet that allowed Donald Trump to win. And it was a guy by the name of Mark Zuckerberg, who then in 2020 decided to spend nearly $500 million of his own money. So what happened since that time period of fake news? Well, one thing, Donald Trump took that phrase, hoisted it back on the fake news, and now you got 70, 80% of Americans who don't believe any of the news. And I agree, they shouldn't because They either are fake because they're coming from they're owned by a billionaire who has an agenda, multiple billionaires, or they're a publicly financed company. I mean, a a government funded, which means they got to be woke to get their government funding. And then you just have a small handful center right, maybe less than 5% that tries to get the real story out. 
Fred, I want to pick up on this question of what constitutes fake news and also what constitutes fake allegations. And you address some of this in your piece. You talk about Russiagate. And you say that for a lot of Americans on the right, but not necessarily on the right, they watch what happened around those allegations, which were proven essentially false, that Mm. Trump was somehow working with Vladimir Putin in order to rig the 2016 election. And now they see all these other accusations. And regardless of elements of truth that may well be behind them, they're simply not listening. They've decided to lump all of what they consider to be fake news together. Now, this works to Donald Trump's advantage as he's facing many of those allegations. Arguably, it also gives him an argument to avoid serious scrutiny because the allegations go, well, for years, he had these questions put to him, which in retrospect looks silly. Now, if anyone wants to put serious questions to him, they're also going to be considered silly. Whether that's right or wrong, however, I think is very much up for debate. And the fact that he isn't showing up to these debates and the fact that he isn't going to be scrutinized in that way, maybe that won't sit quite right with Republican voters. I mean, a lot of primary voters, the majority certainly do wish he was showing up. Yes, I mean, the vast majority do want him to go to the debates. I think 73 percent, according to one poll of of Trump supporters, want him to be at the debate. But that's for the very simple reason that they want to watch Trump vision. They want to watch the Trump show. And without him, it's quite boring. On the legal side, just to pick on what Devin said, I think he's right to point out that, you know, the Democrats were talking about fake news before the Trumpists and the Trump gang did. But I think it was Kellyanne Conway, Devin, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, that really sort of projected the term into the national consciousness when when she started talking about it. But as for the, the legal side, I think at the moment, obviously, it is helping him in the polls. It's boosted him in the polls. There is a concern, even among people who are close to Trump, Devin is closer to Trump than a lot of people, so he can probably tell us. But there is concern about the practical effect it's going to have on his campaign. I mean, this is an enormous amount of work that he will have to get through. As the criminal defendant, he will have to get through it while running a presidential campaign. Can he do that? I think already you're seeing Trump and the people around him building this as part of their victory narrative that, you know, people like to emphasise his superhuman energy levels. And he does seem to have extraordinary energy levels, particularly for a 77-year-old man. And you can see that this will be the contrast, will be between frail, doddery, old Joe Biden and Trump facing this astronomical challenge of running for the presidency, probably the most stressful thing any human being can do, on top of facing nearly 100 criminal charges. And that will be the story, I think, which will be look at what he's getting through and he's still doing it. That's assuming he can still do it because it is an, an extraordinary amount of work to have to get through. Devin, can you give us some insight into what the president's thinking uh, 2024 is going to look like? Well, look, uh, I think he the main thing that he wanted uh, to make sure, and I think when I was in London last year when we when we launched True Social, that was the number one question that I kept getting was, well, is Trump going to uh, run? And, you know, he was very transparent. He said, look, I want to make sure that I'm in good health. And he is in amazing health, as Freddie said. I mean, he just goes and goes and goes, works all day, seven days a week till late hours of the evening, early in the morning. And, you know, that I think it resonates, you know, with the American people. And you got to remember, as much as the fake news and the left have tried to kind of place over Trump, you know, continually, and it's the most ridiculous thing, and I think it's what they all miss, is that they they love to say things like, well, it's just a personality. They're just following the the individual. Well, 
what they forget is they forget that Donald Trump is rooted in something that goes back for decades that is very near and dear to him. And from the first time that I actually met him and spent time with him when he was campaigning out in California, I recognized it. And that is that he is a man who pays close attention to big buildings, big factories, and he loves those things. That's what he grew up in, that he built them. He loved that. And what's been bothering him, and you can go back and watch interviews that he did from the late 70s, I think is the earliest one that I've seen, all the way through, he can't stand empty factories anywhere in the United States, and he can't stand to see all of these products coming in from Asia. And that is why he ran, and he believes that to his core. So when he says things like America first, people say, oh, that's just a slogan. Oh, really? Who else was talking about this? And I'll tell you, as somebody who, who was in Washington, dealt with many of these trade agreements, every president, Republican and Democrat, and I served under, I guess, what, three different ones, they all said, and, and every Republican candidate and every Democratic candidate, they all said the same ridiculous thing that was, we're going to get tough on China. We're really going to get tough. We're going to take it seriously. When I get in there, we're going we're gonna to stop this unfair trade imbalance with China. Guess what? None of them did a damn thing about it. When Trump got in, he had said the same thing that all the other Republican candidates did. And most of us in Washington Times said, oh, yeah, well, that's never going to happen. He's never going to change that. And I'll be damned if he didn't do it. And that was fighting Republicans and Democrats. And he said, look, we're slapping on tariffs on China. He's also, you got to, you know, nobody, everybody forgets this. He was against the Iraq war from the very beginning. And look, a lot of us who were there at the time, we think that we were led astray. We were lied to, the, you know, meaning the United States and officials that were in there. And it's easy playing Monday morning quarterback. But one thing we know is that the United States military can't be turned into a woke nation building type of force. It doesn't work. And if you look the way that we exercised the war on terror, it was not done properly. And President Trump said that for many, many years. So He's a man with very passionate positions that resonate with the American people that the fake news just says, oh, it's a personality. Well, the more they say that, they're the ones who weaponize the justice system. When Pre President Trump could have easily went in there and said, we're going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. And he said, look, let bygones be bygones. Let's just get to governing. And look, I bet if he had that to take back, he would have taken that back, knowing now it's easy looking back knowing just how corrupt our justice system is and our intelligence agencies in the United States. Devin, I suspect a lot of people who like and dislike Donald Trump would agree with you that he's very passionate about a lot of issues. My suspicion is that his views on the Iraq war from decades ago now will probably not be what influences the results of the 2024 campaign. And when we look at his popularity, when we look at that personality, which you're saying is the wrong emphasis coming from mainstream media, it does seem to be the case when we look at polling figures that Donald Trump is still quite unpopular. Certainly, he's popular at the Republican grassroots right now, but the latest Pew poll says that 63% of the American people find him not so popular. And if we look back on the previous elections, 2016, some of those points you're talking about, jobs, energy, he won the election on, albeit by a really small margin across three states, but he did win the election on. In 2020, he lost. In 2022, many of his candidates lost. When you look at poll figures like that 63%, even going up against someone like Joe Biden, who isn't very popular himself, are you so convinced that that personality really doesn't matter based on previous performance in several elections? And we're not 
Republican grassroots, but your average American voter sits now? Look, it all comes down to where have we come since 2016. And, and well, really going back to 2000, I mean, the elections have been very, very close since 2000. I think where you see a lot of that polling, the left and the right are, the left is now very extreme. It's a socialist party. It's not the old Democratic left. And then you're going to have this fight. As long as you have kind of never Trump Republicans out there, you're going to see Donald Trump and he's going to, it'll always be tough for him to get much over 50% in terms of favorability. Um, this is not what it was when Ronald Reagan, you know, or George W. Bush, who I think were probably the last two Republicans to have a little bit of a time above 55% favorability. But, you know, we haven't had a Republican in a long time, be it at a high favorability. Um, but I feel strongly, as I think a lot of the Trump supporters do, that we should go with the person that we know is going to actually do what he says. Freddie, what do you make of that? Devin mentioned before he's not convinced that any of the candidates who are taking part in these debates stand a chance at winning the nomination. You write in your piece as well that you're quite skeptical about whether or not these debates can gain traction without Donald Trump. The risk, however, is that you do have people in those debates who have been two-term governors, who are currently governor, who have served in the Senate, who have been elected politicians a lot longer than Donald Trump were and will have some records to boast about and may also point out areas where Trump wasn't as successful. Say, he pledged to build a wall. There isn't a wall. And we can go on and on about certain things that were said. Is there any opportunity for one of these candidates, let's even say through a social media clip from the debate, to have some kind of cut through? I mean, of course there is. There's 11 months to go till the Republican National Convention. There's a whole primary cycle to get through. Obviously, the old cliche week is a long time in politics. This is a long time to go through. So it would be idiotic to say that the primaries are done and dusted, but they are done and dusted. <laughs> uh, uh, no, they're not quite well, done we'll and dusted. That. But at the moment, we are heading uh, towards uh, a coronation, not a contest. But to speak to Devin's point about Biden and favorability, I think he's quite right. I mean, the, the kind of, you mentioned the Pew poll, but this, the kind of real clear average of polls suggests that Biden is on 54. That's not a huge margin to work with. And other polls that ask people, of all independents and so on, that ask people, was the country better under Trump? A lot of people are saying yes. And so if you have that behind you as a candidate, that's a very, very powerful argument. Freddie, last point. Uh, you have a great line in your piece where you say that Trump has destroyed all pretense that television and news was distinct from show business. And I got to say, I read that and it kind of summed the whole thing up to me, like many, many years of summing up right there. Donald Trump is rude, he's arrogant, he shocks, but a lot of people like it. Well, exactly. I think what happened in 2015, and I, I'm, this is not a very original point, is that Trump showed that the media had become, uh, sorry, the news media had become a bit of a joke. And it's interesting, and if you look at the decade beforehand, uh, two of the big success stories of American news media were Fox News aimed squarely at conservative viewers, and it did extremely well, and rightly so. But the other one was John Stewart's Daily Show, which was one of the most popular news shows in America throughout the 2000s. And that was a satire about how ridiculous the news is. Mm -hmm. And so by the time Trump came along, news was a joke. And he just sort of combined both. He combined both. Yeah, <laughs> He made people laugh. And I think people always underestimate that about Trump, is the extent to which he makes people laugh. And it's not necessarily a laughter of endorsement or support or hostility. It's just a fascinating thing to watch. Freddie and Devin, thanks for joining me. 
Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.